Okay, would you turn with me to your study outlines? And today we are continuing our series, Hard Times, How to Handle Hard Times. And we're going to answer that question that everybody struggles with. Uh, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? How many of you have ever struggled with that? And if you'd like, uh, we have the study outlines here. Does anybody not get one of these that one and one? Oh, my goodness. All over the place. So, Ken, I wonder if you could do. We don't have them. Oh, my goodness. We don't have outlines here. Okay, there has been a glitch then. I am so sorry. Well, they are on PowerPoint, uh, or they are on your um, they are on your mobile device. You know what this must be because Robin's out. The system is down. So our graphic artist who usually does this, she had shoulder surgery on Monday, and there was a glitch in the system. So at any rate, it will be up behind me on PowerPoint. Now, before we get into it, uh, I do want to just introduce you to a couple of my little friends here. Remember we talked about last week that God didn't want to create mannequins. He didn't want mannequins. And so he wanted children who had a free will that could decide uh, between the right and the wrong. And when he gave us that freedom, it opened the door for the possibility of evil. And so we talked about as much as we would like uh, to be uh, connected with or all of our friends or the person we're married to be like a giant doll that we could pull their string and they would say exactly what we wanted them to say uh, of course, that's not what God wanted. He didn't want mannequins. He wanted children. So I want to introduce you to what I was thinking about with this. This is based on the life of Pastor Randy Gardner. Do you guys know Pastor Randy? Uh, how many know Pastor Randy? Would you agree Pastor Randy is probably the nicest person ever in history? So you can either pass it, base it on Pastor Randy, or you could say this is Eric Holmstrom and this is Sarah Holmstrom. If you know them, uh, you do the same thing. So this is called Mr. Uh, Mr. Wonderful, and I'm going to put his box right up here. i got to remember which hand to push there. And here's what Mr. Wonderful says whenever you push his hand. Why don't you just relax and let me make dinner tonight? Okay, here's what else Mr. Wonderful says. Why don't we go to the mall? Didn't you want some new shoes? One more. The ball game really isn't that important. I'd rather spend time with you. How many would like to be married to Mr. Wonderful? There, there you go. That would be the dog. Now, we have Mrs. Wonderful here. Okay, you ready? Here's how she goes. You're going out with the boys tonight? You work so hard. Enjoy yourself. Isn't that a nice response? Okay, one more. You're right. We don't need directions. Maybe you'll find a shortcut. Uh, I like that one. We don't need need directions. One more. Don't worry about taking the trash out. I can use the exercise. That is is great. Okay, so anyway, God could have made these, okay? This is what God could have come with. If you want the rest of them, they're here at the front afterwards. I had to carefully time it because they do say inappropriate things on occasion, so I had to make sure I got the right one. But that's what God could have made. But he didn't want mannequins. He didn't want dolls that always said the right thing. He wanted children. Now, as soon as God did that, it opened the door to the possibility that bad things could happen to good people. And so we studied last Sunday uh, the, the whole problem of evil in the world. If God is so good, uh, why do bad things happen? And now we're going to specifically talk about why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And we're going to look at the life of Job. And we're going to get some clues from the life of Job. Job lived about 4,000 years ago, so around the time of Abraham in 2000 B.C. We believe that Job is possibly the oldest book in the Bible, uh, written in the Bible. It's interesting. You tend to think it's Genesis, but we actually believe that Job is the oldest book. We actually believe that Job might be the oldest book ever known to humanity. 
And so it's interesting, isn't it, that the oldest book in human history is about why God would allow pain and suffering. Isn't that interesting? That the first book ever written was written about why God would allow pain and suffering. So people have been wondering about this for 4,000 years. You're not by yourself. For 4,000 years, people have been asking the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? So I think we do have it on PowerPoint, even though we don't have it in the outline. Number one, sometimes God allows good people to have their faith tested. It says in verse one, in the land of Uz, now this is on the east side of the Jordan, the east side of the Jordan River, in what is today the nation of Jordan. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. Now that's an important thing to remember. He is blameless and upright. This is not because of his sin that he's suffering, but he is blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So this is a combination Mother Teresa, Bill Gates. This is Mother Teresa with a lot of money behind her, okay? So think Bill Gates combined with Mother Teresa. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant, Job? Boy, how would you like to have God brag about you? Job was so wonderful that he was Mr. Wonderful, and he did it on his own free will. And God says, there's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, here's the big question. Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to the face. He said, if you don't reward him for being good, he will turn around and he will curse you. So they've got this big test going on in heaven. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata put her picture up there. If there's somebody who suffers, it would be Johnny. Uh, She was paralyzed from the chest down from a diving accident when she was a very athletic young girl at the age of 16. She says, God permits what he hates to achieve what he loves. Isn't that a beautiful, powerful statement? And coming from Johnny, it has authority behind it. God permits what he hates in order to achieve what he loves. Now, number two, sometimes Satan accounts for the bad things that happen to good people. Verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but the man himself do not lay a finger on him. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And so here we have this contest in heaven where Satan inflicts pain on Job's life only after getting permission from God. Now that's an important thing to note. He couldn't do it on his own. It was only after God gave him permission that he was able to inflict this pain. But the purpose seems to be to test and to prove uh, Job's faith. Is Job going to continue to love God if God allows some major pain to come into his life? And then if you remember the story, his oxen, donkeys, servants are killed or stolen by traveling merchants. Uh, Sheep and other servants are killed by fire from heaven. Camels and more servants are killed by the Chaldeans. Uh, Ten of his children, his ten children are killed when a strong wind comes in and knocks the house down uh, where they were at. And so Job is a real person, and this is real pain. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. 
May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now, here's what's interesting. Job has no idea what's going on. He doesn't know there's this big council in heaven. He doesn't know that this whole thing's happening behind his back, and he has no idea what's going on. I remember when I was in high school, and and forgive me, I've been telling just way too many track stories the last couple of weeks. Ever since McFarland USA came out, I have just, it's like triggered all these hidden memories that have been popping out. And I remember when I was a senior in high school, uh, I, I always ran the mile and the two mile. We ran the mile, and about 45 minutes later, I ran the two mile. And that was just the pattern for junior and senior year. And, and so one day, out of the blue, we were going to face the best half-miler in that whole region of Virginia, about a fourth of the state of Virginia. And out of the blue, after I ran the mile, my coach comes over to me and says, be prepared, I might have you run the half-mile today instead. I never ran the half-mile. And I'm like, what's up with that? And then he literally tells me 60 seconds before the race, he says, yeah, go ahead and run the half mile after running the mile. And, and I said, I, I never do that. What's going on here? But I was just obedient to him and, and, and so ran the race. Come to find out the night before, all the coaches in the district had got together in a smoke-filled room and they had all just had bets and they all laughed. Hey, what if we threw Gunderson in against the, this guy in the half mile? Wouldn't that be fun to see what would happen? I had no clue that this whole meeting had took place. And so my life is like thrown upside down. And I'm like, what's up with this? And Job was the same way. They have this whole powwow going on behind the scenes. He has no idea what's going on. You and I know what's going on, but he doesn't know. Now, let me ask you a question. Could there be things going on in your life right now? And you have no idea why they're going on. How many of you have ever had something go on and you just don't have a clue what's going on? And behind the scenes, God's got this whole plan. He's got this whole thing going on, but Job is clueless, and we sometimes are clueless as well. Now, number three, sometimes well-intentioned friends make our suffering worse. How many of you have ever gone through a bad thing and some friend says something that is non-helpful? Job's wife tells him to just give up and die. She says in verse 7, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a broken piece of broken pottery, took a piece of broken pottery, and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And and, and so in his suffering, uh, it, it puts a wedge between him and his spouse. Could I just say just a little bit of a side note here? You know, for those of you that are married, uh, let me just encourage you, as much as possible, don't let the suffering you're going through put a wedge between you and your spouse. Uh, it's, It's interesting that many times we get along fine until there's pressure put on us and, and, and rather than have that thing drive us together in our relationship, it tends to separate us. You know, Kimberly and I, whenever we do have that rare occasion when we go off just the two of us, after we're just the two of us for like a day or so, all of a sudden we'll turn towards each other and said, you know, I forgot how much I like you. You know, we, we really get along great without the kids. And not that, don't get me wrong, we have a great marriage and everything, and so you don't have to worry about that. But we really do have a great marriage. But man, Sometimes the, the, the kids, sorry about this, Rebecca, she's sitting right here on the front row, you know, but they put the pressure on you. And, and, and that's when the tension comes. We find that in our relationship, 
It is, it is many times the pressures externally that drive us apart. Do you guys find that true as well? And that all of a sudden when you remove those pressures, we're like, wow, our relationship really is easy. We, we really do click at many levels. We really do have this thing going on. But it is the pressures that rather than drive us together, Satan wants to use those things to drive us as a wedge between. And so always remember, that love of your life is not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And remember that when you go through those stressful times. And so Job and his wife, the pressure comes. They go through this hard time and it puts a wedge between the two of them. You know, I know this isn't a popular view. But everybody likes to bag on Job's wife. But maybe she just loved him so much she didn't want to see him go through this suffering anymore. Sometimes it's harder to see somebody you love going through a hard time than it is to go through it yourself. And so maybe she was just saying, you know what? Curse God, die. Just be done with it. I can't see you suffer like this anymore. I'm a minority opinion on that. Most people uh, see her negatively. But you know what? Maybe it was out of love for him. Or at least the pressure was on her as well. Remember, she had lost 10 children as well. She was under pressure as well. It wasn't just him that lost their kids. Now, way beyond his wife are the friends show up. When they saw him from a distance, these friends, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, let me defend the friends for just a moment, and then we're going to bag on the friends, okay? The friends did sit with him in silence for seven days. And that's exactly what you should do when you've got a friend that's going through a terrible time. They say that the best thing sometimes is not to say anything. You know what our problem is? Is sometimes we think we have to be a defense attorney for God. And I don't know what it is, but whenever we see a friend going through something, we feel like we've got to come up with clever, insightful things to say to them. You know what? Don't worry about that. For thousands of years, nobody's been able to come up with clever, insightful things to say to somebody that's going through a hard time. You know, we're not any better than the thousands of years of people that have tried to answer this question, why do bad things happen to good people? And, and the first, their first instinct was the right instinct. They simply sit with him for seven days and just suffer along with him. That was a wonderful thing. Don't feel like when you have somebody that's lost a child or somebody that's lost a spouse or somebody that's lost somebody close to them, don't think you have to have some incredibly insightful thing to say. Sometimes just sitting with that person, that is exactly uh, the right thing to do. Uh, Now, however, they start to talk and that's where the problem comes. I don't know. Frankly, that happens to me as well. It's usually when I'm sitting there silently, I'm good. But as soon as I start talking, that's when I start saying the stuff that's kind of stupid. Eliphaz tells Job he is suffering because he has sinned. What a great friend. Job 4, verse 8. As I have observed, he says, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. He says, where there's smoke, there's fire. So obviously, Job... You must have sinned, and that's why you're suffering. Now, Bildad is even worse. This guy, oh my goodness. He tells Job that his children sinned, so that's why God killed them. Note to self, never say that to somebody. His kids died, and Bildad goes and tells Job that the reason his kids died is because his children had sinned. Job 8, verse 4 
when your children sinned against, sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Zophar tells Job he has sinned so badly that he deserves even worse than this. So one friend says it's because of your sin. Next friend says they died because of their sin. Next friend says, you know what, Job? It, 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 you should suffer even worse than you're suffering because of your sin. Uh, Job 11, verse 6 from the message says, but you can be sure of this. You haven't gotten half of what you deserve. See how they were doing so much better when they just didn't say anything? Elihu, okay, gets a little closer here. He tells Job that God is using this suffering to get his attention. And there is a measure of truth in this. Uh, chapter 32, verse 2. And then Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzzite of the clan of Ram, became angry. He was angry because Job refused to admit that he had sinned and that God was right in punishing him. He was also angry with Job's three friends, for they made God appear to be wrong by their inability to answer Job's arguments. Elihu had waited for the others to speak to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw that they had no further reply, he spoke out angrily. So he's the last to speak because he's the youngest. Now, um, uh, this is a little bit better, but he still expected Job to admit his sin, and so he was not much comfort. He says in verse 15, but by means of their suffering, he, God, rescued those who suffer, that's good, for he gets their attention through adversity. And there is a little measure of truth in this, that God uses trouble to get our attention. C.S. Lewis has that beautiful statement where he says, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is many times, I mean, if we think that eternity matters way more than this life, then there is some benefit to pain because it gets our attention. If we never have any suffering, we never have any pain, then we never pay attention to eternal things. We're just having so much fun here that we never think about eternity. But pain is God's megaphone in order to rouse, rouse a deaf world, world to, get, to get his attention, to make us think about eternity. Every one of Job's friends missed the point and made things uh, even uh, worse. And just something to remember is when somebody is suffering, you don't have to become God's defense attorney. Sometimes there aren't easy answers uh, to these particular things. Uh, James Dobson uh, writes in a book called When God Doesn't Make Sense. He says, a few years ago, there was a twister that traveled through Texas. All of a sudden, it dropped from the sky and destroyed only one structure, a church. Then it lifted back up again and traveled on, not touching one other structure. Man, I'm glad I wasn't the pastor of that church because it would be very easy to judge, you know. Uh, you know, just the tornado comes down, destroys nothing but a church. You've seen pictures of where everything gets destroyed except for a church. I've seen that a lot of times. But here the tornado comes down, just destroys the church, goes back up, continues on. Now, James Dobson writes, was that church a terrible, sinful church? Was there something in that church that made God mad? He, I doubt it, he says. We just don't really know uh, the reason why these things happen. Number four, sometimes God's only answer to pain is simply trust me. Sometimes the only answer is just hang on. Job had no idea what God was up to. And all he did was hang on tight to God. Sometimes the only answer is just hang on more tightly to God. Look at what he says, these beautiful words. Job 2 verse 10. 
Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Um, Lisa, um, the women's retreat. And by the way, I heard Lisa just put on an awesome. Any of you go to the women's retreat? Anybody? I heard it was just like the best one ever. And uh, Lisa just does this amazing job. Ladies, make sure you catch the women's retreat next year. These things are just like the best women's retreat I've ever heard of in the country. I have a limited view on this, you know. So it's like, you know, I don't know how many I've heard of, but of the ones I've heard of, it's the best. Okay. So so at any rate... um, but I heard, I've heard a couple of people. My wife Kimberly mentioned this, and Callie Dye. Callie was leading worship uh, here on Thursday night for Flood, and I was speaking for Pastor Brian at Flood. And so um, I've heard a couple of people mention um, your friend, Melissa. Melissa spoke on Saturday night. And she said something that really stuck with people. Okay, the subject was God is love, and that sounds like a pretty simplistic subject. But they were saying, you know, the thing that got him was, is she goes, uh, you know, God... Uh, you must not love me because of all these bad things happening in my life. And so then she began to recite all the things that, that, that were good. You know, I have a husband who loves me. I'm in relatively good health. I have a house over my head. I've got food. But then, so you think where she's going with that is, oh, yes, God does love me. And then she caught herself. I hope I'm telling the story correctly and said, wait a minute. That doesn't mean God loves me either, Okay. His love is not based on whether good stuff or bad stuff is happening to us. He loves us regardless of what's going on in our life. The good stuff doesn't prove his love any more than the bad stuff disproves his love for us. He simply loves us. I hope I did the story justice. Job 13 verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Job 19. I know that my Redeemer lives And that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. And so tonight I am so sorry if you came looking for maybe deeper, more insightful answers into your pain. But you know what? Maybe the answer is just trust him. Hang on more tightly to him. And I know that answer has been around for 4,000 years, and maybe it's no more comfort than it has been for the last 4,000 years. But you know what? Sometimes the only answer God gives us is just hang on tight and trust me because I know what's going on even when you don't. Number five, pain is a reminder that God's power and purpose are bigger than human comprehension. Job 38, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. You'll notice in the story of Job, God never says, sorry, 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 let me explain myself. He never does that. Uh, You know what he does? You know what he says is, stop talking and listen. I'm God and you're not. I run the universe and you don't. Cool picture I I saw the other day, and maybe it's been around for a while, but it's from Voyager 1, and it's a picture of Earth from 4 billion miles away. There we are. Isn't that an awesome picture? I love that stuff. And I love looking at the stars. That's cool to see the stars from before, but this is what we look like from 4 billion uh, miles away. 
Um, it, it's like the moon in its orbit around blurs in with the earth at that distance. So that's a combination of the moon and the earth from four billion miles away. And, and Job replies to the Lord when God describes to him that I run the universe and you don't. I know that you could do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Even in the midst of your pain, whatever it is this evening, God has a purpose. He's in control. He runs the universe. And pain is a reminder that God's purpose and power are, are bigger than my human uh, comprehension. J.B. Phillips writes, and I love this quote, If God was small enough for me to figure out, he wouldn't be big enough for me to worship. If he were small enough for me to figure out, then he wouldn't be big enough for me to worship. One final thing, number six. No matter how good life gets on earth, only heaven holds the ultimate solution to my pain. And you know, we Christians, you know, it's a weird thing. In recent generations, we have become apologetic for heaven. Okay? It used to be. Christians a hundred years ago, they, they all had a pretty simple answer to stuff. You know what? You, you look at the hymns from a hundred years ago. It's very interesting. You can tell what Christians were thinking by the themes of their songs generation to generation. And a hundred years ago, all the hymns are just when we all get to heaven, you know, it'll be better by and by. And, and you know what? I, I've tried to figure out why that is. And I think because it's only been in our present generation that we could hope to get a glimpse of heaven because of modern medicine, because we're so wealthy. It's only, frankly, it's only America in the last 40 years that have been tempted to think that the answer could be in this life because we live a pretty good life, okay? And so it, it, it tempts us. But 100 years ago, and in any other part of the world than our part of the world, and in any other era than our era, People just had no hope of it ever being very good in this life. It was hard, and then you died. And, and, and so their only hope was in heaven. Heaven was the answer. And so we've got to remember that it is not a cop-out to say heaven. You know, people say, oh, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. You know what I found? The people, the more heavenly-minded somebody is, the more earthly good they are. Mother Teresa was earthly good because she was so heavenly-minded. It is only when we become heavenly minded that we become earthly good. Uh, Job 42, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, which in the original Hebrew, it means dove. Her name was dove. The second, Keziah, which in the Hebrew means cinnamon. And the third, Karen Hapak, which means dark eyes. So he had dove, cinnamon, and dark eyes. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And this is an interesting thing. Their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. Boy, talk about being ahead of his time. Job was ahead of his time. Uh, I've, as a matter of fact, I've always thought, you can, uh, Maddie, you can tell uh, Tomiko this, that I've always wanted to do like a justice, a social justice series from the book of Job. It is remarkable, the justice ideas that are found in the book of Job from 4,000 years ago. He was ahead of his time. Their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. 
And you say, okay, well then, then it did work out in this lifetime. But remember, he still missed his kids that had died. Even though he had dove, cinnamon, and dark eyes, he still missed the daughters that he had lost. He still missed, I mean, no parent, just because they have children later on, misses any less the children that they've lost. He still had some bitterness to work through with his friends. He still had scars. He still eventually got old and died. It did not work out, even for Job in this life. Heaven is the ultimate answer to pain. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, writes, Scripture and tradition habitually put the joys of heaven into the scale against the sufferings of earth, and no solution of the problem of pain, which does not do so, can be called a Christian one. Uh, One final example uh, I want to leave you uh, with. Um, Would everybody take, this is called a hymn book. You'll see it right there in front of the book rack. Um, uh, We don't use it very often. But would you open it up to hymn number 56? And I want to tell you a story to close out. Of Fanny Crosby. Let's put her picture up there. She was born to poor parents. At six weeks old, she caught a cold. Do we have that picture up there at all? Uh, Fanny Crosby, I think we have. I saw it earlier. There she is. Uh, She was born to poor parents. At six weeks old, she catches a cold and she develops inflammation of her eyes. The family physician was not available and a quack who came instead of the family physician recommended mustard plasters as treatment. This botched procedure blinded her. Her father died when she was only one year old, so she was raised by her mother and grandmother. But in spite of this tragic life, she has this amazing faith and trust in God. She wrote over 800 Christian songs in her lifetime, and there's one of them there on page 56. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. When bad things happen to good people. Now, next Sunday night, we're going to finish the series. And this one, I think, is going to be even harder to understand than when bad things happen to good people. Why do good things happen to bad people? How many of you struggle with that one even more? Now, okay, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a, of a Bible trivia for you to figure out by next Sunday night. And if I were Pastor Lisa, you know what? I'm going to be Pastor Lisa next Sunday night. I'm going to give a candy bar to everybody who comes up with this answer. That's what she would do, right? She would throw you a candy bar if you got the answer to this. So I will throw a candy bar to everybody that comes up with this. Next week, this week we looked at Job. Why do bad things happen to good people? Next week, we're going to look at a a person in Scripture, a writer of Scripture, who will answer for us the question, why do good things happen to bad people? That's what we're going to do next Sunday night. Now, I, I, I wrote this down. This person... We hardly know his name. I'll give you a clue. I th- we think it's a guy. Okay. We hardly know his name. Nobody ever talks about him. Okay. You've probably never heard a sermon on him. And yet he wrote more of the Bible than these people. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, 
Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, James, Peter, and Jude. He wrote more of the Bible than those, what is that, like 18 people. He wrote more of the Bible than any of those 18 people. And he is good. We're going to meet him tomorrow, next Sunday night. And he's going to answer the question, why do good things happen uh, to bad people? Let's stand up together. And after a deep philosophical conversation, I always like to eat lasagna. It's just like one of those uh, things you do. Nothing goes down better than a plate of lasagna. So head on over for a free uh, lasagna dinner. Um, and uh, Peter's going to be out there signing his book. And uh, let's, let me just pray a blessing on you. Lord, with all the heartache within this room, uh, Lord, uh, I just thank you for each precious person here. And now whatever it is that has happened bad to them, to these people that have followed after you and that I would call good people, uh, Lord, right now we lift all that pain up to you and I pray your blessing on each person here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In all of our pain, Lord, we hang on tightly to you. We thank you that this pain reminds us that you are in control of the universe and that heaven will ultimately answer our every question. Thank you for the pain that gets our attention and sets our heart in eternity rather than temporary things. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a good night.